Alrighty, hello and welcome to How to Beat Your Kids at Board Games. I'm John. And I'm Dan. And today we are bringing to you a very special episode uh, on a game called Pandemic. Pandemicception. In the middle of a pandemic, we are coming to you with the board game of the same name. It was actually invented and published in 2007 by a guy named Matt Leacock. And it is a cooperative game and has spawned a lot of similarly cooperative games since then. Uh, It's become all the rage. There are so many different variants, uh, but today we are going to be talking to you about the first and basic version, which simply goes by the name Pandemic. Right, that's right. And uh, and Pandemic is a game uh, which, unsurprisingly, is about curing the world's diseases, um, stopping a global pandemic from taking over the world and uh, destroying the human population. Right, Dan? Absolutely nothing that we could relate to at all in this day and age coming to you from the middle of 2020. Of course, of course, not even relevant to our situation right now. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so, you know, in Pandemic... um, it's a pretty complicated game. Uh, definitely not one that we could do a very coherent rules blitz for this week. So um, today we're just going to be giving you a quick rundown of the game. Um, and sorry for those of you who um, maybe haven't played it, um, but yeah, there's a lot to it. So I don't think you want us uh, uh, shouting all the rules at you in rapid succession. Yeah, <laughs> probably more efficient just to to go through some of the basics of the rules first, and then. Um, Luckily, a lot of a lot of this can be sort of figured out as you go as well. There's a lot of cards that you play with um, that, you know, as you're playing, you read and you figure out, oh, this is how you play. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, so the object of the game is to, you have four uh, plagues or diseases that mm-hmm. are yeah. um, threatening the earth. And um, the object of the game is to cure each of the four diseases. Um, now, you can also eradicate the diseases, but that is a bit different. Um, but all we're looking to do to win this game is to cure all of the diseases. And we can achieve that um, through using like a number of different tactics. Uh, right. Yeah. 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 So, so basically, uh, your actions that you can do uh, at any point in the game. So each time you have a turn, you have four actions. You know, So you count for four things you do and of those four things you can move your piece you can share knowledge uh, with some of the other players uh, which helps you get toward a cure Uh, you can treat disease that is present in a current city and uh, of course another action you can perform is actually curing a given disease Mm -hmm. and another thing that uh, we forgot to mention is that uh, the board is Uh, played on a a map of the earth Um, there's a sort of a web of cities um, across all the continents Um, and each city is sort of connected to the cities around it and you can use these connections to move to and from the cities yeah it's very similar to a risk board uh, except with city names instead of country names Mm -hmm. exactly yeah so um, we've gone over how to win the game Um, you have to cure all the diseases but um, as far as losing the game um, the the fun part about pandemic is that it provides you with a myriad of ways yeah. to lose. <laughs> One way to win, many ways to lose. Always fun. Yeah, gotta love it. Um, so one of the ways, uh, there's three main ways. Um, the first one is that you run out of cards in the player deck. 
So I believe there's somewhere around 60 cards in the player deck. I think 59 in the base version. Um, each turn that someone takes, they they pull two cards from the top of the player deck. Um, and so when you run out of cards to pull, um, you and your team automatically lose. Oh, and that's one other thing we forgot to mention about this game. It's Well, Dan already oh. went over it, but yes, <laughs> you play in a team. Yep. Yeah, so... Um as I mentioned at the beginning, it's a collaborative game or a cooperative game. Um, it's not a cooperation game, which is something different, but um, it's a collaborative game. So the people you're playing with, rather than being your opponents, uh, it's everybody who's playing against the plague, against the, the pandemic, essentially. So it's, you know, it's everybody versus the problem, if, if that makes sense. So it's it's very different from uh, every other game that we've talked about so far. Uh, but like I said, uh, there's been sort of a wave of these new cooperative games since 2007. And so this definitely won't be the last of these cooperative games that we talk about. Uh, but that's the idea of a, of a cooperative game. We all win or we all lose. Exactly. And yeah, so that's one way that um, you can all lose is if you run out of player uh, cards in the deck so essentially that just means you take too long to uh, cure all four of the diseases um, another way that you can lose is that you run out of uh, disease counters for a given disease so um, you start out with 24 little blocks um, for each disease and as the game goes on um, you'll be putting blocks down on cities as they get more and more infected uh, and you if you happen to run out of blocks for any one color um, you've essentially let that disease spread too far um, past the point where it's recoverable and you lose the game. Um, yeah, so that's that's the second way. Um, the last, uh, last way is um, concerning a concept called outbreaks, um, which essentially occur when a city is um, full of infected people. It's got three blocks on it, and um, yet something triggers it that it would be infected again. Um, and instead of uh, adding a fourth block, you instead add a single block to every bordering city, to that city, and then you move the counter up. You're only allowed a certain number, I think it's eight. Eight, yeah, eight uh, outbreaks. Eight outbreaks in a game, and if you, um, if you, yeah, if you get an eight, your eighth outbreak, outbreak, the team loses. Yeah, so those are all the ways you can lose, uh, and believe me, uh, I, <laughs> I'm pretty sure, yeah, I've I've lost or come close to losing in in every single way. So it's uh it's a pretty complex game. Um it it'll definitely take uh, a lot uh, a while to um to get to where you're winning most of the time, but that's kind of part of the fun too is you kind of get to sharpen your strategy as you go along. You get to sort of learn together as a group. Uh so it can be a very good team building experience for any anyone listening in the business world uh looking for a good team event. Um you know, look no further. Yeah, and it's uh, it's one of those games that it's uh, complicated enough to sort of uh, leave room for people to optimize and to get really good at, but it's also, um, you know, ba simple enough and um, with ample like opportunity to kind of customize the game to your liking to where you can play it in a much more casual setting and have it still be very, very enjoyable. Um, well, at least from my perspective. <laughs> um, I guess that's not very objective commentary, but uh, <laughs> yeah. So, it, it it is objectively an awesome game. Uh, <laughs> it has won many awards, uh, so you don't have to take our word for it. Uh, but yeah, um, so I I think 
let's get into now uh, more into detail about the four basic actions you can perform uh, on your turn. Mm -hmm. Um, So this would be uh, simply moving your piece. Uh, It could be sharing knowledge. It could be treating a disease that is present, or it can be curing uh, an entire disease. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the first, uh, the first type of action you can take is moving and there are a few different ways to move. Um, As I said, you'll be drawing player cards from a deck uh, throughout the game, which means you'll have, cards that have the names of different cities on them in your hand at any given time and that'll come up in a second so the first uh movement you can do is um, move to any adjacent city um now this is you know sort of and it like it's it's sort of a slow way to move uh it's a big map and and if you're only moving to one city at a time it's going to take you quite a while to get across it um now the other type of movements you can do are um such as a direct flight um, where you discard a card to move to the same city that you discarded. So say you want to go to uh, Delhi, you would discard the Delhi card from your hand um, and you move your pawn directly to Delhi. Um, now a charter flight, uh, sort of similar, except you you discard the card that matches whatever city you're on um, and then you get to move anywhere. So that's very powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, and the last one is a shuttle flight where you can move from any research station to another research station. Um, and research stations you'll you'll be putting up as you go. That's uh, something that you can do as a character too. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean, I, I think that it's important to go, to go through the mechanics of the movements because we, we will be talking more in detail later about sort of maximizing the efficiency of your movements. It's a huge part of the game, but important to get the basics. Um, let's talk about sharing knowledge. Uh, so when you share knowledge, uh, with, with another player, I mean, that, that sounds kind of like a nebulous term, but what you're, what you're really doing is you're, you're trading cards, um, with another player. And in order to cure a given disease, you need a certain number of cards, sometimes five, sometimes four. Uh, and so a way to get there faster is, you know, if I have two red cards and three black cards and you have also like two black cards you know we might we might want to trade so that i can get you know toward curing the black disease faster the the diseases have four colors uh, red yellow blue and black um and uh, so i mean essentially the way you share knowledge is um you stand both in the same city so if two pawns are in the same city and one of them has that same city card, uh, you can transfer that card from one player to another. Um, so this can also be an important way to get uh, a cure. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, we have it listed here in the opposite order, but I think that makes sense to go right into curing. Mm-hmm. Um, as Dan mentioned, you'll need either five or four cards of the same color to cure a disease. Um, you'll also need to be at a research station to cure a disease um now curing comes with the benefit of of course yes um that uh that you you can only win the game by curing all the diseases but it also comes with the benefit that later when you go to treat the disease um which we'll cover next um you'll be much more efficient at doing so once you have the cure um yeah and i I would say oh yeah the last thing is that just that curing takes up one of your actions just like any other thing Right. So basically, you've you've got five cards 
you want to cure the red disease, so you cash in your five red cards, and that disease is now cured um, with, you know, other implications as well. <clears throat> and so the last action you can do um, is actively treating a disease um, on the board. So uh, John mentioned the cubes that represent infections of a disease. So if you're on a city um, and you want to treat one of those you can use an action to remove one of the cubes that is there in the city. Um, now, after you have cured a disease, you can actually use one action and remove all of the cubes that are on that city. So up to three cubes can be on a, on a given city. So instead of using three to take them all out, you can just use one after you've cured the disease. So clearly curing a disease is important beyond just the fact that you need to do it to win the game in the end. There are other benefits too. Right, of course. Yeah. It'll um curing a disease will be will be really nice for preventing outbreaks um and, and potentially eradicating a disease completely. Um and both of those things will be very useful for you. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. So now we wanted to get into keys to victory. Um and the first thing we want to go over and it it's it probably seems self-explanatory given that this is called a collaborative game, but the first key to victory is collaborate, cooperate, and I, I think more specifically, um, converse. Mm -hmm. um, so c communicate. Um, a lot of C words here, mm -hmm. but um, so you you need to talk um, because if you don't talk with your other players. Um, you will have less of an idea of what is going on and who can do what, um, what cards everybody has. Um, and as we will see, this game is a very fast-paced game. And, um, you know, you have to be very efficient with everything that you do or else you risk losing. And so if you don't communicate, you don't share all of the information that you have, uh, you really run the risk of playing too slow or getting behind on outbreaks. Um, and, you know, there's nothing worse than losing the game and going back and realizing, oh, you did have that card I needed and we could have shared and we could have cured the disease, mm -hmm. but we just didn't talk. You know, it's kind of like in baseball when, um, you know, the ball's up in the air and either player can catch the ball, but nobody calls it. You know, same idea. you got to communicate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I would say, like, if you're not going to communicate and talk and... um you know, I think you're not going to be enjoying the game to the fullest. I think the nature of the game is such that you want to be uh, having fun with all the people around you. And the best way to do that is to uh, sort of strategize and talk with them. Now, I think one thing also with um, sort of communication is that they, they recommend that you play first by revealing all the cards in your hand to everyone that you play with to sort of ease um, the communication. But they actually, it's not really recommended to uh, play like that after your first game playing. And that's because, uh, you know, when everyone knows exactly what cards you have in your hand, um, then essentially you can have a, one or two players that can dominate and sort of tell everyone else what to do. And at that point, it's, it's not really cooperative at all. It's, it's just one person playing. And it's also not super fun for, <laughs> for the people who aren't, you know, aren't really making the decisions for their own players because, you know, these other one or two people have co-opted the game. Um, so yeah, just something to keep in mind. Um, helpful, helpful definitely to, to see the cards first, um, to get an idea of how they work. Uh, but then afterwards, 
you're not supposed to show the cards. Um, so you have to really kind of take that extra step uh, and communicate in order to know what everybody has. Yeah, and it just uh, it'll just help keep everyone engaged too, which is uh, pretty nice when the game does that. <laughs> yeah. So the next thing I think we want to talk about uh, are character roles. Um, now each character, each, every time you play the game, um, you'll be randomly dealt a character card or a role card, uh, which will give your uh, player the unique ability to do different things that they couldn't normally. Uh, for example, the dispatcher can move uh, other people's pawns as if they were his own. So the thing is that these roles are very powerful. Um, some of the ways to move around the board specifically or to share knowledge um, can be very inefficient. You have to, you know, when you want to move to a specific city, you have to discard a card. Um, when you want to share knowledge with someone, you have to meet up with that person in that city. Um, now, what roles do was well is that they they let you sort of sidestep these requirements and make things flow much smoother if you use them to their fullest. So that's why we recommend uh, really um, leaning into your roles hard um, and and yeah, just sort of allowing the game to sort of <laughs> like play the game. Uh, maybe I maybe I'm messing this up, but specialize. Yeah, specialize. Yeah. Division. I mean, <laughs> division of labor. You know, Ad Adam Smith would love this, but um, for those of you, I'm I'm an econ nerd, uh, but <laughs> father of economics. Anyway, um, <clears throat> so every everybody has different skills in the game, and in the in this game, like those skills are explicitly spelled out. Um, and each is key to victory in its own way. And so if if you if you have a certain ability and you don't and you don't use it because you don't like to play that playing style, well, you might be you might be costing your team the game because maybe you're the only person who can do that effectively. And if that was a for example, like like the medic is very, very good at treating disease. So if the medic just decides I don't really want to treat disease. I I'm more of a builder. I like to build research stations. Then you're you're not going to do well because um you know you sort of like it's just going to get out of hand. You're you're not going to be able to compensate for that. I I think I think I'm beating a dead horse here. Maybe yeah. we can move on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I think just just remember like sometimes it's okay if you have a if you're the medic and and you're good at curing thing or uh, treating things, then it's totally okay to just go around treating things and um, sort of letting your teammates handle what they do best. Um, so yeah, don't be afraid to just commit to your role completely. Uh, it's going to help you in the long run. Yeah. Um, so I think the next thing, the next key, which is very multifaceted is keep track, keep track of everything. Um, so there's, there's a few things, I think four items specifically that we wanted to talk about. Uh, so one of them is the deck, and I think both of the decks here is what you mean. But yes, yeah, yeah. Mainly, mainly uh, the infection deck, um, but also the in general the placement of the epidemic cards in the player deck, too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I know we're we're kind of leaning into uh, one of the aspects of of this kind of game that people might not think is the most fun. It can be a bit tedious, um, but that's why we're here. We're gonna help you guys. Uh, figure out how to do it in sort of a convenient way. Um, really what you need to keep track of as far as the infection deck is you need to know, um, you know, what's left in the deck 
sorry, one sec, uh, what's left in the deck and what is in the discard pile. Um, because that'll let you know, you know, what cities are next on the chopping block for the diseases. Um, you know, if you, if there's nothing in the discard pile uh, at the beginning of the game or, you know, well, that never happens. But basically, you can know which cities are going to come up next and which ones literally could not come up even if, um, you know, even with the worst luck. Mm-hmm. And so that's going to be huge. Um, the good thing is you can look through the discard pile at any time. But this information sort of is going to be great for you guys to plan out your next couple turns. You know, know which cities you actually need to treat and which ones you don't. Um, now, uh, as far as the epidemic, uh, tracking the epidemics can be a bit, I don't know, harder to do, right? Sure. Yeah, I mean, so so at the beginning of the game, you can add four, five, or six epidemic cards to the um, the draw pile. Um, so the pile you draw after each turn, um, two cards, you know, you you can add these epidemic cards to this pile and you're supposed to somewhat evenly space these epidemic cards so you're supposed to get a you know if you if you're putting in six cards you get six even piles uh, of this draw pile and then you insert an epidemic card into each one and then you shuffle them uh you know you shuffle each pile and then you stack the piles on top of each other so it is impossible to draw an epidemic three times in a row it's not impossible to draw two times in a row but it's very unlikely uh and so what what an epidemic is why it's important is one um it it will bring up a new city that has not yet been infected and add three cubes to it so it, it'll it'll saturate a previously uninfected city uh which which creates its own issues um, and then you also need to move the infection meter up up one. So instead of uh, drawing two infected city cards after each turn, you might get to the point where you're drawing three or four if you have too many epidemics. And then finally, what the epidemic does is it takes everything that has yet been drawn, so everything in the discard pile, and you reshuffle that and put it on the top of the deck. So basically... You know, sort of, sort of, just like a real epidemic. Um, you know, the the places that have already been affected are where this disease is more concentrated and where it's more likely to break out in the future. Uh, so that, so that's what an epidemic does, and so it's it's very important to keep track of where these epidemic cards might be in the deck, because you know, if you've just drawn two in rapid succession then you know that one of them was toward the back of its, you know, um, its cordoned off, uh, like, little one-fifth little one section of the deck at the beginning, and that the other, the second one you drew was at the beginning of its section. So you know that you have some time before the next epidemic occurs, um, you know, and this, this will sort of help you... Um, help you along with planning, you know, conversely, if you've had a lot of time since the last epidemic, you, you actually do know that one is due, um, you know, because this deck was not randomly shuffled. It is, um, you know, these are somewhat evenly spaced out, like semi randomly spaced out. So yeah, 
an- another important thing to keep track on. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think, yeah, Dan hit the nail on the head there. Really, you just, you just got to know that if it feels like the calm before the storm, it, it probably is. <laughs> um, you're never going to go that long without having an epidemic. So it's kind of good to keep track of when your last one was. Um, yeah. And then also what he pointed out was that the shuffling of the discard pile back on top of the deck during the epidemic is huge. Um, and that exact feature is why keeping track of the discard pile and what's in there is so important because as soon as you get an epidemic, you know exactly which cities are going to come up next. You just don't quite know the order. Um, so this can be one of the bigger parts of the game is, is planning out, um, you know, these cities that have definitely already been hit by the disease and are bound to get hit again. And so you have to know where you can take the hits and, uh, you know, where you need to plan out more treatment and things like that. So that's what deck tracking is going to help you figure out. So, yeah. <laughs> the other thing, uh, another thing that we uh, advise that you keep track of is the turn order. Um, this is pretty simple, like sort of like deceptively simple. Um, but really, you know, when you're playing a four-player game of Pandemic, uh, sometimes it takes an awfully long time for it to roll back around to your turn, especially towards the end of the game. So, for example, if you have a cure, if you know that you're going to be lining up a cure on your next turn, but, you know, that disease is already heading towards an outbreak as we speak, um, you know, sometimes you have to really, you still have to go around putting those fires out, even though you know you'll cure the disease on your next turn, just because there's so much time before you'll actually be able to cure the thing. Um, So sometimes, like, when you're choosing between you know, which players to share knowledge with and things like that, you may want to even prioritize, uh, well, you know, all other things being equal, you want to give it, you want to share knowledge with the person who will come up first and can actually cure the disease sooner than someone who could cure it, you know, two turns down the line. Um, so that's, that's like a, I think it's somewhat marginal because it's not going to come up every game that you really have those choices to make, but, um, right. Yeah. It's it's just it's it's also an easy thing to forget. Uh, so you know you should always keep it at the back of your mind. Um, you know, so when you're when you are deciding on on things like cures and um, you know things like when could a potential outbreak occur. You know, maybe you know that that there are certain cards near the top of the pile, and so you're thinking about like how many how many players will play before that city is probably drawn uh and so will i have enough time to do what i need to do in that city before it is drawn you know or will it be you know drawn within the next two players and i won't get a chance yeah it'll sort of combo sort of combos nicely with tracking the discard pile because say you had an epidemic and you shuffled in you know six cards on top of the deck uh (laughs) and you're playing with four people, then you know that all those cards are sort of guaranteed to be drawn by the time you get back around to your turn because, you know, every turn two of them are drawn and there'll be at least three turns um, before you get up again. So, yeah, so it's, you know, sometimes the game just goes pretty fast, especially when you have four players and you don't get as many turns as you think you would. Yeah, which which means it's that much more important to uh, be strategic and efficient in the actions that you do perform on your turn. Mm-hmm. So, uh, well, that that leads in nicely to the next thing to keep track of, and that is turns in the game. So turns turns left in the game specifically, 
and so there there isn't technically you know we're we're on turn six you know that's not exactly how the game works but there are effectively turns because you know the discard pile is only so big sorry the the draw pile is only so big and once that draw pile is out you're done you've lost um you know so when if you know how many players like let's say you have five players and there are 10 cards left in the discard <laughs> i keep saying that in the draw pile um you know there are two turns left in the game so this this two turns left in the game um is what sort of all of our sources say is like a magic number where like you know if you weren't if you weren't super coordinating and you know really planning out every move um and very um sort of intentional and purposeful like now is the time where you sort of need to figure everything out it's it it almost turns into a game of chess where you you have to be able to see those moves ahead like after i do this what will the next person do um how can they get us closer to to our goal like um you know you think about like what two or three things do we need to like cure this disease and how specifically can we get them you know so you can almost outline a um you know you you can almost write an outline for how the rest of the game is going to go and of course there's going to be still chance but i mean that's that's the mentality you should have is plan 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 of course you should always be planning but when you hit that two turn mark you know kick it into overdrive and i think i'm i'm, I'm sure you you maybe have some stuff to add on this, John, and then I wanted to say one more thing about sure. something different. Yeah, well, I mean, one thing I just want to clarify, I think it can be kind of confusing to think about, like, turns versus rounds. Mm -hmm. um, I would, like, mostly... I consider, like, one person playing their turn to be a yeah, turn. that's a good point. But I think Dan was saying, you know, that 10 cards left in the deck is is more akin to there being two rounds left. So, like, everyone gets to play a turn, Um you know, if you're playing with four players, not everyone will get to play two turns if there's that, if there's only 10 cards left in the deck. So I just want to clarify that real quick. Another thing is that, um, you know, the, the thing is that when you get to the very end of the game like that, um, like Dan was describing, it actually should be a bit easier to plan out. There should be less uh, uncertainty because you probably know what's on top of the deck, of the infection deck, and you definitely know what's left in the uh, player deck, like the draw pile. So you, you can definitely figure it out. You know, you know, if there's 10 cards left and you know there's uh, an epidemic in there, that's like one card you've already accounted for. Uh, if you really wanted to, you can go through the discard pile and, and sort of look through what you've, um, what, what cities you've already picked up. Um, but yeah, so it's like, it gives you an opportunity to actually um, put that tracking to use for sure. Um, and actually be very precise with it too, so that you can have a better plan. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so the other thing I wanted to say on tracking turns is a decent benchmark to have uh, for whether the game is going well or not is you want to try to get that first cure within the first three rounds of the game. So if you're if you're able to do that, you're looking pretty good. I think we played a couple games today, John. I think we got it on turn two both times, mm -hmm. maybe. But... Um, you know, if you if you don't have that cure by round three, uh, I mean, I 
well, number one, you you got to pick it up. You know, you you got to you got to start talking more. I mean, that's that's probably a big reason. Um, and you know, maybe you kick it into that that planning mode. You know, because because you realize you're 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 behind the eight ball essentially. If this is happening, it's going by too fast, and um, you're behind where you're supposed to be. Yeah, you'll definitely need to pull pull some more weight than you were before. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And then I, I think last, uh, and this is maybe the most elementary of what to track, but who has what? Mm-hmm, exactly. Like you, this is what you're mainly uh, cooperating on uh, is making sure everyone knows what colors you have in your hand. Um, you know, maybe you don't specifically need everyone to know what cities you have, but you know, at least the colors um, people want to know. It can be good to know like who has event cards. Um, it's also really good to remember uh, who, what roles each of the other players has, because you know, then you're going to be thinking about what, what exactly everyone else is capable of, um, because some people might have, you know, they might have a give, like someone might have three reds and and two blues, but their role and their position on the board makes it a lot harder to do something with that hand than you know, someone else on the board that has the same hand and a different role. Um, yeah, yeah, and, and I think this this is comes back to tracking the player order too because you know if if you're like well i can um i can share with this person because the dispatcher can just move me but it turns out you move before the dispatcher and the dispatcher already moved so um you know i don't know that that was kind of a tangent but i think it ties in yeah yeah no i think it's good it's just like you know there's a t- there's a ton to think about, uh, but that's why you have each other, <laughs> so that you're not just playing this all by yourself. It could be a bit of a headache. Um, you get to work together and let other people help you out, figure out your turn and stuff like that. So um, definitely like use all the information that's available to you. Yeah. Okay. So so we've uh, sort of spent a lot of the first thirty thirty five minutes here uh, telling you how important it is to play efficiency efficiently and with a purpose uh and we sort of haven't gotten into many specifics on that yet so now we're going to dive a little deeper into what that means what it means to play efficiently and you know i think the most important thing here maybe yeah probably the most important thing here is movement um so as you mentioned at the beginning john you know you can drive (laughs) which you know, I, I like to think of as walking because it's so slow. Um, just moving from city to city one by one. Um, you can direct flight by discarding a card. You can charter flight by, you know, discarding a card in the same city, which is a, a little bit nicer because you can go anywhere on the board. Um, and then you can shuttle from research station to research station. Um, and so when we talk about movement and moving efficiently, what you really need to do is minimize the amount you have to walk. Uh, so, I mean, this is building research research centers. I think they're technically called research centers, but we'll use them interchangeably. Um, you know, because this having a good network of research stations means you can get wherever um, you know wherever you want on the board. Uh, wherever you're needed, probably within about a turn, if it's you know if it's absolutely necessary. Um, so, in general, you want to have them pretty evenly spaced. But I think even more than that, 
you want to put them where the action is if you can. And I'd say that second point is probably more important. And so you shouldn't you shouldn't worry about like placing a research station that's two squares away from another research station uh, because you know number one like the game the game moves too fast sometimes to even get all of them built Mm -hmm. Um, and then you know number two a shuttle's a shuttle so you know even if even if you're if you're moving from research station to research station two squares away you're still saving um, a move essentially so um, that's kind of what when when it comes to research stations anything to add there john yeah i would just say like you know it, like you're saying it, it could be definitely feel it's sort of like a feels bad um moment when you have to like put a research station near another one but sometimes it's it's just the right move um especially if you're playing with the operations expert who can um you know place uh research stations without any cost um it, it's sort of there's no real penalty to playing super liberally liberally with your research stations um the key here is also that they don't cost any car they can move you sort of an infinite amount of spaces and they don't cost any cards to do so uh, now the other two forms of movement which can also move you um you know any number of spaces um they also cost cards to do now that doesn't mean they're not worth it um as we'll see you know i think actually you know direct flights and charter flights are very useful um and sometimes just absolutely necessary uh, depending on the different roles that you have uh, in the game but either way I think the most important thing is like the number of spaces that you're going Um, you know sort of what we'll talk about is that efficiency with or what I won't talk about right now is that efficiency with actions uh, is often much more important than efficiency with cards Mm -hmm. Um, you know you're you're drawing two cards every turn and so when you can use cards um, to bolster your movement, whether it's in a, like in a flight or by building the research station, um, you know, I think you're generally going to see good returns on the cards that you spend doing that. Um, now of course there's like other considerations, like, are you trying to put together a cure of that color? Maybe you don't want to spend cards of that color then, but the other ones, you know, there's, there's just really, there's no reason to hoard cards. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I mean, like, Another reason not to hoard cards is you're only allowed to hold seven cards in your hand at the same time. Um, so that's about, you know, three turns worth of cards. You know, you start you start out with two cards. So if you don't use any, you know, you'll probably be you'll probably be ready to discard in three turns anyway. And you may or may not have enough for a cure. Um, and so it's it's really important to get to where the action is you know especially if you don't have somebody like an operations expert on your team who's just able to build research stations you know if you're just all starting out from atlanta and all you can do is drive and nobody sort of takes the initiative to fly somewhere and like take one for the team and build a research station then you know you really are going to get nowhere it's um you know it's a it's a calculus to be sure but um, I've found that, you know, beginning players tend to hold on to their cards, um, too long. And, you know, you should really only hold on to your cards if you have sort of a line of sight to a cure, um, mm-hmm. you know, or you have, you have four cards and maybe you don't, maybe you don't have anyone to trade with, but you have four reds and you think you'll draw one, 
soon so you don't want to get rid of them that kind of thing yeah I, I think you know we've gotten the gist down for sure is that you just you definitely don't want to be afraid to to spend cards to save time um you know most of the time that's that's definitely what you're doing you're you know don't think of it in terms of oh i'm i might not be able to put this cure together um because you know as we'll explain lining up cures is <laughs> sort of a whole other concept in its own in its own right um and actually you know we can move on to that right now i would say um unless you have anything else to add no, uh, don't don't hold your cards and uh, be generous with your research stations. Well, wait, actually, yeah, one more thing on that. So, research stations, even if you're maxed out on research stations, like you've you've built all of them and used all your pieces, you can still build more. You just pick up some of the ones that you've already built. So, if you're late in the game and let's say you've eradicated a disease and you won't need to go there anymore, you know, you definitely shouldn't be afraid to build another one and take one off of the one that you eradicated or, you know, even, even one that's not eradicated, but is not really a problem anymore. You know, again, you know, what's on top of the deck and what's coming out, um, you know, um, optimize, uh, and, you know, again, building a, the cost to build a research station is almost always outweighed by the benefit of having mobility to that point on the board. I would mm -hmm. say that's a pretty good rule of thumb to go by. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's if it's a good spot to put one, you know, like you said, it's in the action. Um, another thing sort of in favor of putting a research station on a given place is that it has a lot of connections. So like, if, you know, something like I think Istanbul has the most connections to any different cities. Um, great place for a research station because you can get almost anywhere in one or two movements. Um, yeah, definitely, definitely um, good use there. And I think like it's just interesting to think that research stations are so good that taking off your least useful research station to put in a new one um, is still like definitely worth the card <laughs> um, if it's in the right place. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, yeah, so uh, I think that's it for that. But yeah, let's move on to cures. cures. Yes. Yeah, so I think... One thing, like sort of a sort of a rule of thumb that uh, is quite helpful, is just to think of the fact that um, you need five cards to cure. Um, so I, you're not even close to curing a disease unless you have at least three of the same color in your hand. Um, I think a lot of people would probably, when they first start, especially, they might jump to trying to like, you know, say everyone has at least one red card, and then someone has two red cards, and you you try to go pool all your red cards and and put together a cure. Um, but that's just honestly a, a huge waste of actions. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, I think the good, a good like thing to think about is that sharing knowledge, trading cards, um, you know, in the base form, like unless you're the researcher or something it changes, but um, in general, sharing knowledge is a pretty inefficient thing to do <laughs> um, because you have to move to the, to the right city and then spend an action. Like it's just an action sink. <laughs> for sure so um yeah i don't know I, I think like just in general i don't even think about lining up cures really until someone has three um cards of the same color i mean you're drawing two cards from the player deck every turn um which really realistically gives you a decent chance of drawing the color that you need um just from sitting and waiting so right yeah definitely i mean there's there's nothing more embarrassing than um you know using a bunch of actions to like 
to get to the same place and share a card, you know, with, with your companion to get you from like two to three red cards. And then the next turn, like they draw two red cards and they have three as well. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And they would have had four if you hadn't traded with them, which is, you know, something that is, I think, pretty common given that every player is drawing two cards a game. So like you said, don't think about it unless you're really close because moving to the same place and sharing is very costly, you know, so unless you like some roles like the dispatcher and the researcher can be helpful with reducing the cost of sharing, but it's, I think it's still a good rule of thumb. Mm-hmm. It's another thing where turn order is going to come into play because, you know, if you say you and your buddy both have three red cards uh, or maybe one of you has four, you know, and like, but one of you just went and the other's going now. Um, like you kind of have to realize that, um, what am I trying to say here? Basically that just like the odds that someone will draw a red card mm, is yeah. pretty big. Yeah, and so that, and so that like you don't necessarily have to force shares if you're like super far away from each other or something like that. Um, because often they'll come up on their own <laughs> pretty easily. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, granted, like toward the end of the game, like if, you know, maybe if, if you have a good idea of how many cards have been drawn and what's left in the deck and you know that like sharing is maybe the only possible way you get to this cure, then absolutely you do whatever it takes. Um, But, you know, don't jump to it prematurely. For sure. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the next step after curing uh, once you do manage to line it up, uh, is eradication. And so eradication is one of the more controversial uh, things, I think, for people in this game. Uh, the most <laughs> common, I feel like the most common thing I've heard about eradication is that people just mistake it as being the purpose of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but <laughs> Guilty. You, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you do not need to eradicate anything. Um, all you need to do is cure. But eradicating, you know, happens when you uh, cure a disease and then remove all the cubes from its... Uh, all all of that cube from the board. Um, It can be very useful because from then on, that disease will not spread at all. Um, Pretty nice to have, I would say, Um, but does come at the hefty cost of sort of spending actions to do something that you don't necessarily need to do to win. Right, yeah. So, I mean, really, the, the, the two things I think about when I consider whether to try to eradicate the disease is how much is it going to cost me and how, you know, I, I guess I, I think about how much is it going to benefit me as well. Although I, I think the cost is much more salient in my mind. I don't know if you agree or disagree, but mm-hmm. I mean, a, a good rule of thumb I think I've, I've seen is, you know, if you're going to do it, if you're going to be able to do it within the next turn or two and it's early in the game, then you're probably pretty safe to do it. Um, and you know, it might like, you know, because essentially you have all of these turns that are going to happen and all of these draws, you know, where every card you draw for this eradicated disease is essentially a blank. Um, and it does, it doesn't do anything to harm you. So that can be very valuable. Um, but if, if you're using like three or four turns to eradicate this disease, well, first of all, usually that's a good chunk of the game three or four turns Mm -hmm. um 
you know, I with with 60 cards, you know, depending on how many people you're playing with, that's, you know, anywhere between like 12 to 15 turns, more if you're playing with two or three people. But gotcha. okay. But I mean, it's a good chunk of the game. Um so if it's going to take more than a turn or two, do you mean rounds? A round or two? I, I, okay. keep, I keep I keep saying that. <laughs> no worries. Round yeah. a, r- a round or two. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no worries. And now, and now that I'm thinking about thinking about it, even I, that's I, a long I might even time. say two rounds is a lot. Yeah. Probably probably if you can do it within the round, go for it. Mm-hmm. But if if not, you know, focus your energies elsewhere. Yeah, because I mean, the thing with eradication is that any bad draw from the infection deck and like set you back at least like one player's turn possibly more um on eradicating the disease so you really need to have a very clear and like likely path to eradicate the disease for it to be worth it that's not to understate how nice it is um like dan said you know essentially all of the cards of the color that you've eradicated um just become blanks in the infection deck and you've bought yourself a ton of time once you do get an eradication. Uh, and that's why it's sort of important to keep track of how many of those cards you've already flipped. So like if you're going to eradicate black and you have a bunch of black uh, cards in the discard pile, um, that can be really nice if an epidemic comes up because now all those black cards are now just blanks sitting on the top of the deck. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's totally, it's, really fun to eradicate oh, the disease yeah. very satisfying super satisfying yeah um and you know i definitely wouldn't say that it's not something to like consider it's definitely really useful um you know and, and some of the stuff we were seeing was suggesting that you know it can happen in as many as half of the games or more than half of games and eradication mm-hmm. is is like yeah. coming into play um and you know yeah i feel like it just gives you a decent amount of peace of mind <laughs> if uh, you can yeah, secure yeah. a really early eradication you have a ton of breathing room and even even like if it's not super early it's still going to help you out quite a bit yeah yeah definitely um it's just maybe not worth like diverting yourself for you know right exactly and and so um there are some roles specifically the medic i'm i'm thinking of i don't i don't know if there are any mm-hmm. more but um maybe the dis- dispatcher but um roles that make an eradication more feasible more realistic so i mean the medic for example once a disease is cured they don't even have to spend an action to treat disease in a city you just have to (laughs) you kind of just move in and everybody's healed you don't even have to touch anybody it's it's almost a supernatural power is it Mm -hmm. seems like but i've heard it called um, the jesus walk (laughs) exactly right (laughs) you know you're 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 going in and you're healing everybody without lifting a finger. And so, you know, if you've got say like three or four cities that are reasonably close together and you've got you've got the medic on your side uh and they're close by, you know, they might be able to just sweep through or like sweep through all but one and then, you know, one more person is pretty close by. Um, you know, and that that can make an eradication much more um doable. Uh, I'm tr- I'm trying to think of any other roles that might do that. But I think there are more in the expansions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I know definitely. especially that you know if you have the medic plus ditch p- dispatcher combo, oh, it, yeah. it's even easier because mm-hmm. not only can the medic move around doing this, but the dispatcher can also do that for the medic. So, yeah, um, if you see that combination come up, I would heavily consider uh, aiming to eradicate at least one disease. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so yeah, but. 
just a, another caution to, you know, remember that eradicating diseases is not the object of the game. Mm -hmm. Curing diseases is. So, um, you know, if you can do it, great. If not, that's okay. You can move on. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so let's talk about outbreaks and how to best manage them. And how scary they can be. Right. <laughs> outbreaks can be quite terrifying, uh, especially the dreaded uh, chain outbreak can be definitely one of the things you want to avoid in this game. <laughs> um, it's why, you know, it's why it makes sense to really focus on curing um, the, the or treating the cities that have three cubes uh, way more heavily than the cities that only have two cubes. Um, I think there's, I remember reading a rule of thumb somewhere that says two plus two is less than three, um, saying that if you have two cities, <laughs> if you have two cities with two blocks, that's much less threatening than one city with three blocks because, um, you know, like that one city can have an outbreak and not only does it put you closer to directly losing the game, but it also puts many more cubes into play. So you, you can lose off of outbreaks, but you can also lose because you run out of cubes because of all the different uh, outbreaks that have like chain outbreaks things like that um so really avoiding them is going to be huge and it really has to do with keying in and targeting those three square cities um now this is uh, you know yet another time when deck tracking is going to come to the rescue uh for example uh one thing that i know is, is pretty common is to sort of stack the cubes uh of a three of a three cube city if uh, if that card, that city's infection card, is still in the deck. Um, so you kind of know that that city might be having an outbreak soon uh, just through the infection deck. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's one way to keep track of it. Basically, if you know the cards in the discard pile, you can leave the three cubes in a uh, flat, like leave them next to each other, and you know maybe you don't need to focus on, on treating that as much. But if the cubes are in a pyramid, that means they're that means that card is still in the deck and could go off at any minute and you really need to prioritize that. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and I think it's, um, an important corollary to what you've said is, you know, getting a city from three to two is much more important than getting a city from two to one or one to zero. So if you are again with, with planning your moves and being efficient, if you have the opportunity to get a city from three to two, you don't necessarily want to get it from two to one as well, especially if there's something else you can do worthwhile on that turn. Like maybe you you get to a research station and poise yourself uh, to to go to go to to where the other action is on the next turn, or maybe you set yourself up to trade with a player where you know you couldn't if you stayed in the city and treated again. That's not to say that it's it's bad to treat a disease. In fact, if you have nothing better to do, to do it's you know it's very good. You know, especially if you're running low on cubes, uh, which which we've experienced a little bit today. But um, you know, if you run out of cubes, you're you're gone. Um, you're you're dead. Um, so, <laughs> um, I mean, you've lost the game. Um, <laughs> so you know, you it's a little more important if you're running low on cubes. But if you don't have that constraint you know, you really shouldn't care as much about, about continuing to treat, um, after, you, after you've, um, eliminated the potential of an outbreak in that city. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, one more thing to think about is that, uh, 
once you've had an outbreak, um, then the cities adjacent will now have a cube on them, regardless of whether their card has been pulled from the infection deck or not, which also means that their card could be on the bottom of the infection deck and uh, will perhaps be vulnerable to an epidemic and uh, another mass outbreak. So that's one thing to keep in mind. Uh, I mean, I would say it's mostly pretty difficult to go around clearing every single city with one cube after an outbreak but if you have situations where you have the medic and it's cured or something like that um can be pretty dang nice <laughs> right yeah i mean th it's definitely it's definitely a scary thought that one of those adjacent cities could be the next epidemic and you know could cause a chain outbreak of its own uh however you do you you know one you want to know when the next when roughly the next epidemic is coming uh so you know just how dangerous it is and then also i mean it's only an issue if it's like one of the bottom like two or three cards on the deck which i think is a pretty unlikely event yeah. um which it's it's possible and you should you should keep it in mind but it also it also shouldn't take too much energy away from other fires you might be fighting yeah i think it's overall might be pretty easy to overestimate how scary it actually is yeah for sure yeah all right event cards Ooh, event cards uh probably one of my you know more favorite parts of the game i think they add a lot of definitely like they really Who spice things like up free stuff yeah exactly <laughs> they, you know, they don't cost an action to play they do stuff you really like um you know for example, you can just put a research station anywhere on the board that's, like, super nice. Um, yeah, and I think, you know, realistically, uh, the, the advice we're going to give you on event cards is generally going to be to read the situation. It's sort of like, I, I know we've we've definitely come to this point in past podcasts where we kind of just go, well, we've given you the tools to know when things are useful. Yeah. <laughs> um, use them. Um, right. It's sort of similar here. Um you know, you'll know when a research station could be very useful and it's, it's, you know, it's, you gotta, th you can think about it when you're planning out your turns, um, sort of like, you know, where outbreaks are going to be, whatever, how to use this event to its fullest is going to ba be based on your plan for the next few turns. Um, now one thing that I would like to say about events is that, um, especially the events that interact with the infection deck, um, are going to be very, very useful when you've been tracking the infection deck. Um, you know, for example, One Quiet Night, uh, you know, if you've just had an epidemic and you have several cities that just got stacked on top that you can cure in the next turn or two, but that are, like, just ripe for an outbreak, um, you know, One Quiet Night's going to be pretty useful to you. Um, even more useful, I think, at times is the forecast card. Um because you know it can be yeah it, like it's same difference but <laughs> still lets you interact with the infection deck right when you know what's on top and you can really use it to the fullest when you know already what to expect right yeah i mean um very useful i mean you and you and you should since you're since you've been tracking you know you know roughly what's on top of the deck and when it might be a good idea for for a quiet night or um or to or if you need more information and need to use a forecast but yeah it's just like city cards and not wanting to hoard your cards um definitely don't hoard these either like if it if it feels like an opportune moment 
to play it. I think our general strategy is that, you know, you play it when it's when it's doing you a good amount of good and you don't necessarily wait for a better time to play it because that that time might not come. I mean, of of course you want to you want to be prudent in this, you know, like it needs it needs to make some degree of sense, uh, yeah. but um you know, don't be shy with playing these event cards mm-hmm. um, because you know time time is money. You know, playing playing these earlier in the game, um, especially with like building a research station or something. You know, you can reap the returns um, for much longer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's important also to take advantage of the fact that you can play them at any time, um, so you can help other players do their thing uh, on their turn. You know, you don't have to use up one of your actions. You don't have to wait until your turn comes around to help another player out. Um, yeah, so that's really nice. Uh, one thing that I'll also mention is that the resilient population event um, can be super interesting. Um, definitely good to use it when you have an epidemic coming to stop a city that would otherwise cause a deadly outbreak, um, you know, to remove it from the game forever. But one small implication that it will have is that it'll make, you know, say you remove a black card from the um, playing from the infection deck, uh, it will actually make a black eradication a little bit less powerful because you'll have less dead cards clogging up the shuffles later. Um, so that's just a, just a small thing, but um, sort of a good note to keep in, keep uh, yeah. track of. Yeah, uh, important corner case to keep in mind. Exactly. Um, okay, so we wanted to talk a little bit about the end game, uh, sort of balancing risk and sort of Hail Mary cures. I think this goes together with the next item, which is planning out the next, the last turns, which we've already sort of talked about. Um, so I think there's there's this principle that we've talked about before on this podcast um, of, you know, doing the thing that gives you a chance to, to win rather than doing you the thing that will make you lose, make you lose, but definitely buy less if you yeah. lose. And I think that that's almost sort of flipped in, in this case, because here, um, you know, you're truly, your goal is not to lose. Uh, right. So, um, I think, I think I, I should set this up with, um, th- this is mostly going to apply when it comes to outbreaks. So the outbreak meter uh, can be deceptively scary as it, as in like, you know, when you see it's at two or three, uh, or even four or five, you might, you might not think that you're in much danger, but you can also like a few outbreaks can happen in rapid succession. And that can get you very close to the end, if not end the game for you, if you're not careful. So when, um, and I, and I think, um, you know, when, when we're talking about, about running out of cubes too, like the, those, those cubes can really run up. Um, so, you know, if you have, if you have a couple of outbreaks in a row and you had say like six or seven cubes left, you know, you're in danger of losing because, you know, you had an unlucky draw. Mm-hmm. So what you want to do in the end game is if you have a plan that, you know, you know, you're going, you're going to win, um, by a certain time, like if you can execute on this plan, you you should remember that it doesn't matter at what point you win. It mm-hmm. winning winning earlier doesn't make the win worth any more than if you win a turn later. 
And so if you if you have the opportunity to eliminate the possibility of an outbreak in a city that you know that you know is active and might be drawn um then you definitely want to do that even if it means winning a turn later mm-hmm. um yeah like you said you know uh winning a turn later is uh, much better than not winning at all um so i think it's there's no reason not to take the secure victory um over the fast victory like fast victory i guess you can think of it as flashy but um you know you're playing as a team so uh you're, who are you really impressing just your, like you know yeah. it's you and your teammates so if you lose you know you you all lose yep um exactly, exactly. so so yeah i mean i think this came up earlier it was just uh we played earlier and there was definitely one line that would lead us to um you know win the game on dan's turn and dan was right went right before i went um, or we had a line that would, you know, leave us at much less risk of an outbreak that was potentially game ending, but, um, we'd actually be sort of risking one more turn of the infection deck, um, by letting, by, you know, taking an extra turn in the end though, if you, you know, the risk of losing by outbreak for us was much greater than the risk of us losing in any other way. So this sort of risk minimization helped us secure a much, uh, more like obvious much more like i mean it's just said secured but it's a secure win as opposed to a maybe win right <laughs> that was sort of a hail mary definitely don't try win more <laughs> win first yes exactly <laughs> um yeah so um i think we wanted to a, a few more things we wanted to get to uh short things is what's what's different when you play with different numbers of people what should you be focusing on with three people versus with five or six people. Um, yeah, and then we <laughs> we wanted to touch a little bit on on the expansions, which, by the way, we do not know a lot about. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but first, first let's talk about uh, the uh, different numbers of players and what you should be looking for. Okay. So, uh, as we've mentioned, you know, when there's four players, uh, you know, you don't really get that many turns. Um, however... You know, the nice thing is that you'll have four different roles uh, in play. So you're likely to have you know, people with really strong roles, maybe people with more like niche roles, but they can still contribute. Um, but it'll be much more likely that you can actually specialize and sort of do whatever your role says. Now, when you play with less people, um, odds are that you just won't have one role to cover every you know section of the game. Like you won't have one you don't have a, a role that helps you with movement, a role that helps you with curing, a role that helps you with healing or treating, that sort of thing. You have to kind of uh, be more generalist um, because you just have you know, less roles in play. <laughs> um, but the flip side is that when you're playing with only two people, you get you know way more turns. Uh, you also start out with more cards in your hand, so it can be a bit easier to put together a cure in the very beginning of the game. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think... Um I I forgot what we what we concluded about this, but um, you know because because when yeah no I I remember now so so when you have fewer players and you are sort of forced to be a bit more of a generalist uh, this is I think when more trading tends to to take place more knowledge sharing mm-hmm. uh, because it's less likely that you'll have sort of a better option than to go go meet in a city and share and um, you also have fewer players drawing. Um, so you have less of a chance that somebody's going to get like 
a really good hand and really close to a cure just by chance. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And so you have to be a little more pointed with that. Uh, and then, you know, with more players, you really, um, you'll have more roles. So you'll be able to do more things uh, more effectively. Uh, but it's, you know, it's also, it's really important that you stick to your roles um, in these cases uh, because the fact that everyone's drawing means that card that draw pile runs out really quick and so you have to be really efficient um and really purposeful with everything you do yeah yeah and i think the last thing um you know is specifically for two players that research stations are probably going to be pretty important um you know when you have two players uh you basically have a harder time covering the whole map so if you have outbreaks or like really tough areas that need to be treated um, all the way across the map, you know, you're going to be running all over the place fighting fires. Uh, so very important to strategically place driving, your research driving. stations. <laughs> right, and driving, yeah. <laughs> of course. Um, but yeah, so uh, I mean, I would pay specific attention to research station placement, uh, especially when you're playing with two players. And also, you know, the flip side of not being able to be as specialized in two players is that um, sometimes you'll have to make moves that we've sort of con- considered to be less efficient, such as uh, sharing knowledge, uh, driving, uh, or burning, you know, and burning cards even more than you usually would. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So um, in wrapping up, um, well, well, actually, let's let's first talk about how to uh, celebrate when you when you win i think this came up in our game uh today which which i thought was kind of funny um but uh, and you might have more thoughts but uh basically you know maybe it's the end of the game and you know that the next person has the cure and you're just kind of biding your time uh with and you have two more actions um you know you can fly to one of the cities in your hand that you'd you'd most like to visit in real life yeah, you know, I mean, you've done a lot of hard work in this game, and you know, don't be afraid to give yourself a little time off. Yep. You know, vacation mm-hmm. in Karachi. Maybe. Oh yeah. Oh. Uh huh. You know, maybe maybe get down to the southern point of Chile. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's one thing we forgot to mention Ooh. about Santiago. <laughs> Ooh, this is kind of an ugly note. Uh, now, apologies <laughs> to any of our um, listeners from Santiago, um, or if you have family there, but. Um, an important, uh, very, very important part of this game is that um, it you must you must leave the Santiago the Santiagueños Santiagueños yeah. the Santiagueños so. uh, to die that's it. Um, mercilessly, um, mostly because it's only connected to one other city. Yeah. <laughs> so essentially, so even an outbreak <laughs> won't be very costly. Yeah, <laughs> it's almost never uh, worth going to Santiago just to just to treat it. It's it's right. like. What yeah. could this? What damage could this really do? <laughs> so very, cl- very, very silly side note. But uh, my my professor did um, work for the Chilean government for for quite some time. So sorry, Professor Mullins. Uh, <laughs> but if there is an outbreak in Santiago, we will we will not come and help you. We will not be there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Andes um, have done their done their job, <laughs> blocking everything off. But yeah. All right. Um. So. So e- expansions, um, I think you know more about these than I do. Yeah, I mean, Dan and I, uh, we're not super familiar with them. The thing is, though, um, they're pretty much, what they do is they add event cards and they add roles, okay? Um, they also add a fifth player, I believe, who um, 
who will be considered a bioterrorist um, and will actually work against the other four players. So all in all, these expansions are going to, um, you know, they're going to add a lot of depth because every game is going to feel a lot different when you have more roles to play and things like that. Um, again, we can't, we can't really speak much on the uh, bioterrorist role. However, um, what I can say is that I don't expect the principles of the game to change. Um, you know, a role that's strong in the base, uh, you know, the base pack, uh, maybe won't be as strong compared to the new roles, but, um, there are some pretty you know, cool new roles out there. Oh, there definitely yeah. are. And that's why, um, you know, I definitely recommend checking them out. We just haven't gotten around to it yet. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't think there's no massive rule changes or anything right. that would make you, uh, sort of flip your knowledge on its head. Yep. like that. Yeah. No, I mean the the principles should stay the same, you know, communicate, um know your role and like use and abuse it like you said. Mm-hmm. Um you know, keep track, um uh, be purposeful with your movements. Um Yeah, that's I mean those are the keys to success here. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, once you have those tools, uh you can apply them to the different contexts that will come up in the expansion packs as well. Mhm. And sort of like, you know, parallel to what you're doing when you're vacationing uh, and <laughs> as, you're, as you're winning, uh, <laughs> the other thing is also to uh, take defeat with a bit of a grain of salt, too, and understand that, um, you know, maybe you, were, uh, maybe you were messed up by random numbers and, you know, by the way the deck was shuffled. Uh, yep. But more often than not, um, there's something you could have done right. uh, to improve your gameplay. So, yes. yeah. So remember, and, and you know, this is, this is huge with any game you play. Um, if you're trying to get better at a game, which, I mean, totally valid if you're just playing for fun and, and that's not your goal. But in the case that you want to improve, and, and you know, hopefully you do, and that's why you're listening to this podcast. Otherwise, I don't know, <laughs> don't know why you're here. But um, You like hearing <laughs> our voices. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe you just really like Dan and I. Um, you know. But um, if, you're, if you're out here trying to sort of up your game, um, then it's important to look at every game and realize, think about how you lost and think about what you can do differently next time. Yep. So if you ran out of cubes, uh, you know, maybe focus more on treating. If you ran out of cards, you know, you got to play faster and more purposeful. And of course, um, if you, if you got outbroken out of the game, which has never happened to me so far, um, (laughs) you know, just realize what, what a threat outbreaks are, you know, and sharpen the saw, like the great Stephen Covey would say. You know, every <laughs> every game be a little bit better, um, and uh, yeah, sharpen your technique. And so. don't be afraid to try new things too, because mm-hmm. you know, like that's that's one way that you improve is just seeing what works, um, taking our advice. Uh, yeah, sure, that'll get you. You know, only so far. <laughs> At a certain point, you got to do your own experimentation. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Well, uh, thanks, John. This was fun. Uh, thank you all for listening and. I hope you learned something. We always do. Um, And we will, I think, see you next time on How to Beat Your Kids at Board Game. Thank you for listening to this episode of How to Beat Your Kids at Board Games. We hope you enjoyed it and that you learned something, because we always do. If you like our show, please tell your friends, and be sure to rate or review us wherever you get your podcasts. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram 
by typing our acronym HTBYKABG in the search bar. Again, that's HTBYKABG. If you have questions, comments, feedback, or suggestions for games you'd like us to cover, we'd love to hear from you. Please email us at HTBYKABG at gmail.com or message us on social media. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.